2: You shouldn't go to Barnes & Noble and buy 10,000 books just so you can build a book fortress and yell out, I am your book leader. You shouldn't buy 147 copies of War and Peace, stuff them inside turkeys and serve them at Thanksgiving as Terbookins. And you definitely shouldn't buy up all the copies of Dork Diaries causing the neighborhood kids to stage a protest in your front yard. But you could. Because at the Barnes and Noble Book Hall, you can get over a thousand titles for 50% off. Stock up at your local Barnes and Noble. Tobacco's are fictitious and should not be cooked at home.
1: This is the High Stakes Lowdown, a RotoViz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players' Championship. I'm Eric Balkman from the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour and the FFPC. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Balkman and the FFPC on Twitter at FFPC. Today I'm speaking with Ryan Santos, a longtime FFPC best ball drafter. After a great 2016, Santos cashed more than $26,000 last season. In this episode, we break down what tactics he applied in his best ball leagues and how he'll try to replicate it this month when drafts kick off for 2018. You can follow Santos on Twitter at FFLINX. Before we get into the show, I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the Rotoviz content and tools, and it helps support the podcast channel as well. Now, without further ado, here's twenty-six thousand dollars high-stakes best ball winner Ryan Santos. We uh, were excited this week on the uh, the Rotoviz uh, High Stakes Lowdown season three, the season three premiere, to have one of the more prolific guys out there in the ffpc best ball space uh you follow him on twitter at fflinks uh ryan santos joining the program this week ryan thanks so much for uh making some time uh for the lowdown
2: oh, thank you for having me
1: this is uh, exciting to have you on where the, the super bowl is is fresh in our memory it was just completed on sunday we are already turning the page uh to 2018 before we get into uh uh, to your brain and, and what your your th- your early thoughts are on these uh, on these 28 round best balls. Uh, when you're not playing high stakes fantasy football, tell the listeners what you're doing for uh, for for a living.
2: I'm a Port Authority police officer.
1: A police officer that makes time for uh, plenty of fantasy football. I would imagine you can uh, you uh, it's easy for you to fit that in uh, at, at your own time and, and work at your own pace.
2: Oh uh, yeah, it's a little tough to to keep as many as I do going, but uh, I enjoy it, so.
1: You do enjoy it, and you do good at it. You had 2016 was great for you. 2017 was even better, man. First place in 12 of 35 uh, for 200, uh, for two, uh, $250 uh, levels uh, of best balls. Uh, you went one for one in the 150 level, six, for, uh, six of 18 in the 77, five out of 26 for the 35, and you cashed in eight of your 10 double-ups. I mean, it's an insane year. Those are really good stats. To me, you really seem dialed in on these best ball drafts in, in 2017. I'm curious as, as to what your thoughts are on, on any particular rules of thumb that you live by in each draft, or are they fungible? Is there nothing that you will follow as an absolute cardinal rule uh, when you're putting these teams together,
2: I don't really follow anything as a cardinal rule. I basically just try to treat each draft as if it's like its own. Uh, I don't go into any draft like I said roster construction or guys that I feel like I have to have on the team. And uh, especially with the best balls, you gotta just be able to adjust on the fly, especially in the later rounds because there's no pickups, there's nothing. So you have to be you have to make sure you fill out your roster.
1: You know, one of the things I always think is interesting, and this is this uh, I'm sure we'll come up with people who are. Drafting best balls for the first time in 2018 is being on the end, you know, being, you know, having like a top three pick or a bottom three pick and then, you know, not getting skunked on a a kicker or defense or, you know, having multiple kickers and defenses it's i how do you play off uh, when you have when you're at those spots at the draft how do you kind of guess when those runs are coming is it simply just a matter of you know you do a lot of them so you kind of know when it's coming uh, or is it just like okay i can, I can kind of sense that this is the spot where you know a lot of these teams are going to start grabbing kickers and defenses and tight ends for that part too you know with the tight end uh, point and a half uh, per catch for for tight ends in this tight end premium format, certainly they can go pretty quickly too. What are your thoughts on when when you're drafting on those on those ends? How do you kind of guess those runs?
2: Oh, uh, the tight ends is kind of hard to tell because they could literally go anywhere throughout the draft. The run could start anywhere, and if you're at the end of the at the end of the round, there could be a six or seven run, six or seven player run. You can miss it. But with the uh, the kickers, I usually I'll try to get at least one of like the elite kickers that you know is going to have that you know is like the kicker for the team, somebody like Guskowski or Tucker. And I'll always I'll always have at least, well, usually, I'll, sorry, uh, I'll always have three kickers on my team just because of the turnover and the uh, injuries. There's been plenty of teams by the end of the season where you have no kicker and you're basically taking a zero. And for the, uh, the defenses, I usually just draft two just because there's no injury concerns. So you know you're at least, you know, not getting a zero for the most part.
1: How does it, you know, like for people who've never done an FFPC best ball before, they're 28 rounds and you have a standard FFPC lineup where, you know, one quarterback, two running backs, two receivers, a tight end kicker defense, uh, and two flexes. Do you feel, Ryan, that, that you've been able to, to utilize that double flex to your advantage for, for people who maybe aren't familiar with it or, or aren't, Uh, able to, um, you know, uh, really, you know, draft dominant teams that way because I think uh, so many of us are programmed into, you know, me and myself included, uh, two running backs, three receivers, a tight end, a flex, you know. But when you can build a a roster around four running backs or you can build a roster around four receivers or or three tight ends, I mean, has that worked out for you doing that? Um, I I mean, you seem like a best player available type of guy, but I got to imagine that 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 specific – lineup format that that little um that little hitch in um in how you can assemble these these best ball lineups with that double flex i i, th- I think that you're experienced enough that that you have taken advantage on, uh, uh, of that more than once
2: yeah it definitely does come into effect i mean i don't have a set roster construction that i use for every draft but i usually try to have like at least between seven and nine receivers and running backs and around like three to five tight ends uh, if I draft the tight ends early, I might be a little more inclined to go with the three. And if I wait till later, I'll, you know, tr- maybe try to grab a couple extra ones to use for those double flexes.
1: When you look back at 2017, uh, certainly being over invested in Todd Gurley was an awesome thing. <laughs> you know, being over invested nah. in DeAndre Hopkins, that was awesome. You know, when when you have situations like that, but th- it doesn't always help. I mean, certainly anybody who was drafting early and and um, you know w- was getting a lot of David Johnson. Uh, that didn't work out for for them as you look back on not only this past season Ryan but previous years when you've done best balls is being over invested in a certain player or you know several players is that necessarily a bad thing for your portfolio
2: uh personally I don't really worry too much about my exposure level to each player because like I said I treat every draft separately and there's always going to be the good or the bad you know you could have a David Johnson last year who didn't play the whole year but you know if you drafted Todd Gurley, or Alvin Kamara in all your drafts, then you, you did pretty well. Do you, but uh, for the... Go, oh, ahead. Sorry, go ahead.
1: No, go ahead. Fini- finish your thought, because I got I got I another question on uh, what, what you just said.
2: No, I mean, there's also a lot of people who don't like to uh, have too much exposure to player, to certain players. Uh, the advice that I will give them is to do that more in the early rounds if you want to spread out your exposure level. But if you have somebody later on in the later round, somebody like a Ted Ginn or uh, Alvin Kamara last year. You want to try to grab as many as those guys because those those are the guys that'll that'll win you the leagues. I
1: I mean I, I feel like when you're early on, I, okay here's when I when I'm doing drafts, there's always certain players in each round that I don't want to have anything to do with. I don't care how many drafts I'm doing, I'm not getting that those guys on my team this year. Do you feel like there's not only players like that for you that you will never draft, uh, given where they're going in, in certain spots, and then the flip side of that, do you feel like there's Uh, you know there's been times when you were always hitting the same player not always but a a significant uh, amount of the time you're always taking Todd Gurley in the third or DeAndre Hopkins in the fourth or something like that have you ever found yourself or or caught yourself doing that
2: yeah there's definitely been some of the guys that I said that I would try not to draft but there's always a point where if they fall far enough that I'll take them and uh I definitely do see myself drafting a lot of the same guys uh especially somebody like Mark Ingram last year who uh you know, I was going a little for a little later with the ADP than I thought he should be. So, whenever he was around like the late fourth, early fifth, I would grab him.
1: Let's look. Uh, let's look ahead to 2018 here, Ryan. As far as ADP goes, I mean, obviously there's there's real no no established ADP out there yet, and I think there there's the there's a tendency, and I know I've said this in the past, going into seasons that well, this year the, the ADP is going to be all over the place. You know, this year you can't really pre- predict where this guy's going. You you can't, you can't get a good handle on any of these guys, especially in the FFPC where, you know, any given player can go anywhere, it seems like, um, you know, and I'm exaggerating a little bit when I say that. But I, I look towards 2018 as, as you kind of look towards this coming draft season. I mean, could that be the case this year? Are we in for the craziest year yet? with with these players going all over the place at least until you know we hit the late drafting season in in July and August could we be in for a crazy ADP year
2: yeah i mean i, I try to look at the i try to look at the like the first two rounds this year and it seems like people are going to be all over the place i mean usually you could tell for the first round usually maybe like 13 14 guys that you know will go within that first round but i mean just looking at it now there's 20 plus guys that i could see going in the first round in any any give a draft Almost, Which also is also something that you could take an av- advantage of by drafting early on, if you have certain guys that you like that uh, maybe are pushed back a little further now than they will be later.
1: Yeah, because I mean, I look at some of these guys that that could be going in the second round, and, and they to me like last year they were like slam dunk first round. Like Mike Evans is a perfect example. That guy was going in like the early to or not early, uh, the mid to late first round in, in a ton of drafts last year, and I feel like after this season. Um, he's gonna drop off clearly to the second round, maybe even the third uh, round, and he's a guy that that I think should have a nice bounce back. You know, you draft these proven players off bad years, and I feel like more often than not, you, you can really cash in on that. Has has that been a phenomenon that that you've noticed that you've been able to take advantage of where um, a guy you think is unfairly depressed in value in the draft, and, and you end up hitting him? quite a bit and picking him up, and then he pays off because it was just simply a recency bias from other fantasy players that, you know, unfairly driving this guy down that that makes him a value and and makes him a steal.
2: Yeah, even looking back to last year, you had guys like Todd Gurley and DeAndre Hopkins who fell back because of their, you know, the year they had before, or uh, DeAndre Hopkins who's actually proven that he's pretty much quarterback proof, but people were worried, you know, with the rookie quarterback coming in. And they fell back to like the third, fourth round, and ended up being really good values.
1: I think uh, you know, and obviously, as we get to to um to the preseason and training camp and everything like that. I mean, some of these guys in the second round and in the third round, they're obviously gonna, um, you know, be pushed up, and some of those first round picks that are are sort of fringe first round picks right now might might drop off. So obviously, it, it, you know, now is the the time to take advantage of uh, of uh, you know not not having a lot of information out there for 2018, I, I think, you, if you want. And we'll, at the FFPC, we'll probably have drafts going uh, within the next week or so. Um, but now's the time to, to strike while the iron's hot um, and get in while, uh, while everybody else is sort of playing uh, catch-up. Uh, what are the chances that specifically talking about, we talked about Kamara quite a bit uh, already, what are the chances that both he and Mark Ingram don't repeat what they did last year? Uh, and do you see uh, any, as a piggyback to that, do you see any other, you know, quote-unquote tandem backfields right now that are worth snagging both guys? Because obviously Ingram and Kamara were fantastic if you got them both last year. They both crushed it uh, and did awesome for a lot of teams that took the, the um, you know, took the chance on drafting both of them. So uh, what are your thoughts on Ingram and Kamara this year? And then uh, do you see anybody else that could do, you know, maybe at least a, uh, on a smaller level, what they did in
2: 2017? Uh, I don't think they'll be able to repeat what they did last year, but I think they could both still be back-end running back ones, early running back twos. Uh, but, I mean, basically what they did last year, I don't think that's ever going to be repeated again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and no, but, I mean, like, I'm I'm trying to think, of, like, what what we could have had in Kansas City last year had Spencer Ware not gotten hurt. You could have had, like, a, a, a Spencer Ware-Kareem Hunt you know, tandem that were both those guys proved valuable. You, do you see anything like that? And obviously we'll see what happens at the NFL draft. But you don't see anything like that right now, uh, obviously not to that level, but anything that could be close to that level?
2: Uh, on a smaller level, if they uh, maybe utilize Tariq Cohen a little better, I could see Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen being oh, one yeah. of those combinations.
1: And, and now you have, and I don't know what your thoughts are on, on them getting um, uh, a Nagy in there as the head coach, but certainly you go from John Fox. To him, it's like two polar ends of the spectrum of, uh, uh, of offensive um, ingenuity. You know what I mean? I think the Bears' offense uh, could be set up for, for a lot of great things next year with Trubisky and Cohen and Howard and Shaheen, and, and you know they, they and they, maybe they take Ridley or somebody like that in the first round of the draft and get a playmaker on the outside. They, there could be a lot of bounce back, uh, especially in draft school, with some, with some Bears-skilled guys this year. Oh,
2: definitely. I can see that, too.
1: There's um, There's been talk about a first-round running back explosion. This is something that I think, I don't know, it probably dates back to Week 12 or Week 13 of the season. And, you know, as we look to, to 2018 drafts, there's been talk of maybe as many as 9 or 10 running backs going in the first round. You know, you think about the guys who would be up there, Le'Veon Bell and Todd Gurley, it seems like, those two are jockeying for the 101 and the 102. You have David Johnson coming back, of course Ezekiel Elliott. We saw what Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara did uh, this past year. Kareem Hunt is in that conversation as well, uh, and certainly don't don't just eliminate Devontae Freeman or, or LaShawn McCoy. I mean those those guys would be right up there as well, and I'm sure I'm, I'm missing on some other guys uh, that that would certainly be in the first round running back conversation. What are your thoughts? Uh, wh- you know. Besides those guys, are there any dark horse running backs that could go in the first round? And how many running backs do you think will, you know, more often than not be going uh, in the first round this season?
2: Uh, I think it's going to be a very heavy running back early uh, first round this year. I think they'll probably be, in most drafts, a minimum of six, possibly even ten running backs in the first round. You 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 have those set guys, you know, Bell Gurley, David Johnson, Zeke. They also have, like you said, all those other guys that will. If they don't make it to the uh, first round, they'll definitely be early second round.
1: How do you handle a guy like David Johnson in drafts right now? I mean, it, he, we, he has a new head coach. He's, uh, you know, probably gonna have a new offensive coordinator. He does, we don't know if Larry Fitzgerald's coming back yet uh, or not. How do you handle a guy and Carson Palmer? We don't know if he's coming back. How do you handle a guy with his elite level talent on a team that's not only undergoing so much change, but Maybe won't have the supporting cast that we've been accustomed to seeing uh, in Arizona around David Johnson.
2: Oh, he's somebody that I might, especially early on, maybe uh, limit my exposure to him a little bit. But I'll definitely want to have some because uh, have an elite talent like that, he's always going to prevail. I feel like. But that- uh, maybe in the early, or maybe in the early earlier drafts, before we know, you know, who the quarterback's going to be, if Fitzgerald's coming back, all, all that stuff. Maybe I'll try to limit my exposure a little bit.
1: Is there a chance, let's say Fitz doesn't come back and let's say Carson Palmer hangs it up, is there any chance that David Johnson could slip into the second round this season just because uh, Arizona, would, I'm certain, would switch to more of a, a rebuilding and developing young talent mode? Is there any chance that you could get David Johnson in the second round?
2: Uh, he could be similar to something like Gurley was last year where you know he slips a little further than he should, and uh, he's one of those guys that could end, you, end up winning you championships.
1: Yeah, I mean you compare David Johnson with a stud in the first round. or maybe you know Hopkins or, or Brown and, and getting, you know, taking David Johnson uh, early in the second, that'd be definitely a good start uh, for anybody this season. Uh, Evan Ingram kind of came out of nowhere. I don't want to say he came out of nowhere because there was a there was a lot of people that that thought that there was a lot of talent there. I don't know if anybody predicted what they would have what we saw in year one from him. Uh, certainly had a fantastic rookie year. Uh, as the tight end for the Giants. Where does he currently sit as you look at tight ends for 2018? How high up is he on your list of tight ends? I mean, I would assume he takes another step forward, uh, given that he will have his rookie year under his belt. But how how good can he be? How high is he on your list right now?
2: Uh, I haven't really done any of my rankings yet, but uh, especially being a Giants fan, I I really do like what I saw out of Evan Ingram. Uh, i might have to temper expectations a little bit next year when Odell comes back. Uh, if Marshall comes back, they might get a couple more offensive uh, offensive weapons, but uh, I would say he definitely hovers around the top five tight ends for me.
1: You know, I, as a Giants fan, let's let's talk about the new coach uh, in New York and how it impacts guys like you know. Uh, Eli Manning, Beckham, Engram, the running game there. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if, if there's a, well, I don't, I don't think there's a long-term answer in the backfield yet, but is there anybody that, I mean, are you are you moving these guys up based on what uh, Shermer was able to do uh, with uh, Minnesota last year losing, you know, basically the Br- Bridgewater they lost and then uh, Sam Bradford goes down, they lose Dalvin Cook. He did a lot uh, with that offense there. What's his impact going to be uh, for the Giants in New York?
2: Yeah, I definitely love what he did with that offense, and uh, hopefully the Giants stick with Eli. And uh, once they get Odell back, maybe Brandon Marshall comes back. He's not going to be you know the old Brandon Marshall, but if we get something out of him, I can see this offense definitely taking a big step forward.
1: Is Beckham your number three receiver in drafts right now? I mean, if you had to make that choice, would you put Brown and Hopkins ahead of him, and then Beckham third on that list, or am I giving him too much credit for? You know, coming off a down year and and uh, you know having to to go into a new offense, the new head coach, new offensive coordinator. And uh, where does where? I mean, I know you haven't done your ranks, but but you know, just off the top of your head, does Beckham seem like the third receiver?
2: Yeah, he's probably either three or four. Maybe I still have Julio and Beckham pretty much neck and neck, but they would probably be either three or four. Three or four.
1: Okay. Uh, getting back to the philosophy of best ball drafts, uh, you know, these 28 set it and forget it, uh, drafts, anybody who is jumping in for the first time this year, Ryan never done it before. What's the one piece of advice, uh, that you, if you could only give them one piece of advice, what's the most important thing, uh, that they need to apply to, uh, to each draft that they uh, participate in?
2: Uh, I'd say, especially for best balls, probably, uh, the roster composure is probably just as important as the players that you pick, uh, Cause like I said, there's no pickups in best ball or at least in most of the best bowl leagues. And every position has to be filled every week, whether there's buys or injuries. Uh, so with 28 spots, you want to try to roster, you know, enough quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, tight ends. And the big thing I, I always do is I always have three kickers just because the turnover, the turnover and the injuries are pretty, uh, pretty intense with the, uh, kickers. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much.
1: When, when you could, when I and forgive me if you mentioned this already, but when it comes to quarterbacks, if you were to to draft one early, uh, you know, a Rodgers or a Brady or a Russell Wilson or somebody like that, are you usually only going two quarterbacks then, or would you still try to get three?
2: Uh, if I have Somebody like Rodgers, there's, uh, I'll usually draft two, but depending how my roster ends up towards the end, if if I feel like I have enough running backs or receivers that I like, I might grab that third guy.
1: Do you ever feel like um, handcuffing is more important uh, in a best ball, or or is it less important? I mean, this is you're 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 not talking about a national contest here um, with the FFPC best balls. You're talking about you know going up against 11 other owners in in one league, so you don't necessarily have to. You know, draft uh, this behemoth that that needs to beat thousands of teams or hundreds of teams. You're just trying to beat 11 other guys. As far as handcuffing goes, do you find yourself doing that, or is it just kind of like, you know, what if it happens, it happens, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sacrifice giving up on a better player just so I can lock up a backfield.
2: I'd actually, I think I actually like handcuffing more than most do, especially with the best balls, because if you lock up the you lock up the handcuff, you know, you at least have somebody that's going to fill that position. Uh, whereas if you're just drafting other handcuffs or maybe high upside guys later on, if your stud gets hurt and that guy never makes his way to the uh, to getting time, then it, it kind of hurts you. And another thing I actually like to do, too, is with the receivers, if there's a, you know, say somebody like a Sammy Watkins and a Robert Woods that are, you know, one guy that's a little high up, one guy that's a little cheaper, I'll try to grab two of the receivers because if one goes off one week, another one might go off a different week they kind of offset each other.
1: What about like, uh, I'm just, you know, off the top of my head, I think about Pittsburgh this year. I think you could probably do it. I think you could get Brown, Smith, Schuster, and Martavis Bryant if you really wanted to all in the same draft. Is, is that something that you would do would, would, you know, collect three receivers on the same, you know, elite offense like that?
2: In an elite offense like that. I definitely would. I had plenty of teams last year where I had, uh, I took, sh- uh, Juju late pretty often last year, which worked out, but, uh, I also fell for the Martavis Bryant, where I was taking him 6th, 7th round, and right. uh, he didn't pan out, but luckily, I, usually when I had him, I had Juju late, late, and that uh, helped offset it.
1: Yeah, that's that's, and, and I think you could, you know, with this, the crop of rookie receivers that's coming in, um, certainly isn't uh, one of the best ever, uh, putting it mildly, but I think that there's a couple of rookie receivers that we can look at once they get um, you know, drafted, and, and we see what what sort of situation they're coming into, uh, there could be a Juju Smith-Schuster type guy this year that you might want to target late uh, as well. Uh, Ryan, give us a, give us a guy that you think, um, you know, as these drafts get going here in the next week or two, give us a guy that, that is going to be going early in these drafts that you think is going to be a bust in 2018, and then maybe a mid-round sleeper. Uh, this year's Camara, this year's, um, you know, uh, um, Kareem Hunt to, to to a certain level depending upon when you drafted him last year you, you could have got him in like the 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th round um, a mid-round guy that, that could be a sleeper that could really help when a lot of people leave
2: uh, I think I'll probably avoid Des Bryant this year uh, depending, I mean if he falls back far enough I'll take him but I can still see just for the name recognition I can still see him going the second round or maybe even somebody like Thielen who might be going a little higher than uh, than I think he should be and as far as uh, mid-round guys, uh, a lot of, there's a lot of mid-round receivers that I like that should be going, you know, the mid to late rounds. Some people, guys like uh, Marvin Jones, Robert Woods, Corey Davis, Marquise Goodwin, and actually with the uh, the Redskins getting uh, Alex Smith, I think Crowder might end up being a pretty good value in mid-rounds.
1: You know, I, something that I, I, I think is interesting to compare redraft to best ball, I think, you know, with zero RB, um, you know, really, the last seven or eight years, really being utilized more than ever. I think a lot of teams will start off with four receivers and a tight end, four receivers and a quarterback, something like that, and then they'll pound these these mid-round running backs. Um, you know, the Mark Ingram's, the Alvin Kamara's, you know, Kareem Hunt's, those type of guys in the mid rounds. You see that a lot in redraft. In best ball, I feel like. I don't want to say it's reversed, but I see a lot of teams trying to get those two or three bell cow running backs early in the draft, you know, two in the first three rounds or three in the first four rounds, and then take these receivers in the mid rounds, you know, like the Ted Gins, these big play guys, Juju Smith-Schuster, guys that that could, you know, have one yard touchdown catch, and all of a sudden they're they're starting for you, uh, and everything else is gravy. So it's, it's a little bit reversed to me in best ball. Have you had Success more so with one rather than the other, with you know, pounding running backs early and then taking receivers, uh, or pounding receivers early and then taking running backs, or has it just been about a horse apiece and it just matters, you know, getting the right players on your squad?
2: Uh, I think I've definitely done better going running back heavy early because I feel like you know, you grab the late pound a bunch of late round running backs and a lot of them aren't going to pan out. You might get a couple of guys that you know. Do very well for you but you're always going to find those mid-round receivers guys last year like marvin jones robert woods marquise goodwin who people were overlooking and those guys you know some games were giving you two touchdowns they're giving you the big games and also had a pretty high floor as well
1: yeah robbie anderson i know was 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 included in that and certainly cooper cup um for you know how late he went uh he certainly paid off uh in a big way last year uh you uh my friend had your drafts pay off in a big way in 2017 by my math you won more than $26,000 this past year in the FFPC. Uh, are you planning on doing anything fun with that cash, Ryan, or reinvesting some of it, all of it, none of it? What, what are your thoughts on, on what you're going to do with uh, with all that cash uh, this year?
2: I'll most likely be reinvesting all of it, going back hard. Uh... Nothing and then I just got to make fun. sure you're you're another wife gonna,
1: does it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're not gonna do anything fun with you with the money. Like, take take the wife out for a nice dinner, nice night on the town, nothing like that.
2: No, I got I got to keep all that money away from her. She can't know about it.
1: <laughs> you know, the high stakes players are 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 good for several reasons. That's another one of them, uh, right there. Yeah, it's uh, it's
2: hard to find the time now to do anything.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ryan, listen, man, this has been fun uh, talking with you today, uh, uh, this week on, on the high-stakes load-on. I wish you uh, nothing but the best uh, for 2018. Uh, certainly, uh, you made a big increment uh, up in the uh, in the prizes from 2016 to 2017. Hopefully, you take another step again in 2018. We'll all follow you on Twitter at FFLinks. I know you post a lot of great stuff there. Uh, anybody who plays. Uh, high stakes or just you know best ball in general should definitely be following you with a lot of the stuff you put out there very very good stuff uh, for anybody trying to get better and uh, we'll try to get better uh, this season uh, in the uh, in the lowdown as well and uh, I think we uh, we definitely did a great job in this first episode Ryan thanks so much for joining me this week and we'll talk to you again soon buddy
2: all right thanks for having me again have a good one
1: Thank you for listening to the High Stakes Lowdown, a roto podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. And thanks to Grapes for our theme music. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the roto radio feed. It helps us find new listeners. Contact us via email rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. And follow us on Twitter at roto radio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to roto at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast.
0: This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California.